right, just, just briefly, just briefly want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. We gather together today as New Heights Fellowship, and, and whether or not you are a member of this church or not, you have come to this place to reach New Heights in Jesus today. That's why we gather and give God the glory. He has been at work doing some mighty things, and we'll pray he'll do that again today. Just a couple of things. Uh, if you're new in the building and you don't already know this, ladies' room is out the door to the right, men's is to the left. Don't get them confused. That's extremely embarrassing. <laughs> right women, left men. All right. Also, when we break up, when we break up uh, after the third song, we will separate out. The, the kids are going to the God's kids' room, right? That's where your head. Okay, kids are going to God's kids' room. The ladies are going to the cafeteria, and the men are staying here. And if you are a teenager, you go with your group. So ladies go to the cafeteria, teenager ladies go to the cafeteria, and men, ladies, men, teenagers, let me get the start. Men, teenagers, stay in here. Okay? If you're working on being a man, stay in here. Yeah! All right, praise God. Okay, so that's the plan. Ladies, children, men. Same thing for teenagers, okay? And if they, they, the kids leaders already know if they are having trouble and they need extra bodies, they will come and grab a teenager. I think they'll do great because they're awesome guys. Got great DNA, both of them. That's <laughs> both my sons today. So, yeah. Good contribution. All right, Brother Tony, Deacon Tony Brister, would you pray for us as we open today? And we'll just ask the Lord to uh, do whatever the Lord's going to do. Let's pray together. The Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for uh, giving us another day. Thank you for uh, the opportunities we had earlier. And uh, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here tonight. Uh, Lord, just ask you to be with us. We invite you here. We ask you to be with every song that is sung, every every word of it. And uh, thank you for uh, Brother Jerry and his wife coming from all the way Mississippi to share with us, to uh, fellowship with us, to bring your word to us. So I ask you, Lord, to uh, show up to... To, uh, spread your spirit around us and help us, Lord, uh, be focused on you for just a little bit to uh, understand what's going to be uh, given to us and uh, to seek your guidance through it. And uh, so, just Lord, uh, bless this time. Thank you again for bringing us all together. Amen. Whether you like to sing or not, praising the Lord is the thing to do right now. It's that time again to get up off your butt onto your feet.
okay to stay right where you are for a minute. We're going to pray together and bless the tithes and offerings and pass off the plate in just a moment. It'll come from your right over that way and come on down, down to this way. Uh, but we're going to ask the Lord to bless. And I have not asked him in advance. I'm so sorry, brother. I'm going to ask Brother Ron Dellinger. Would you please pray for us now? Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to gather here tonight. Yes, uh, that you uh, bless the preacher, as I'm sure you will. And just thank you for giving us everything that you do give us. And most, most of all, your son. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 That's the way we
Yeah, I'm pretty good. My life is in New York. Kids this way. Go kids, go. Kids this way. Go kids. Bye, y'all. Bye. 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 Nope, you're in here with us. Let's try. They'll come get you if they need you. Thank you, Mom. You will thoroughly enjoy it. If not, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love you. I don't know what to do. It's all good for you. I always tell you, like, I feel sorry you didn't get to go to your chase. That's what I said. I said, I feel sorry for you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are organized enough at this time. Brother Jerry, come and lead us. Hmm? Oh, we sing a song? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We're doing a men's song. There you go. <laughs> this Hello? is like my first ever men's song. I'm super excited. Denied vital need to know information. information. Chair for nothing. Denied vital need to know. Yes. <laughs> That's all right. I'm all good. I'm super excited. Let's do it. Come on now. Don't be sitting there quiet. We need all the voice we can get. Let's do it. start if you have your bible find the book of judges amen judges in the old testament tonight i want to speak to us as men of god and uh you know it's a daunting task when you think about it it's never something that's just real simple or easy it's an amazing thing to think that god has called me and called your pastor uh to break the word of life together and 
to impart God's truth. Uh, it's a very humbling thing to think about as I have prayed today about where God would have us tonight. He has indeed laid upon my heart by his providence uh, the book of Judges. Now we all know that the book of Judges is the most unusual book. It's a time in the history of Israel unlike any others where rulers were basically judges if you will. Somewhat like a governor, uh, somewhat like a mayor, somewhat like a king. Just kind of mix them in a bowl all together and you got basically the judges that were there. And, and each judge is very unique. There were some women judges, Deborah. Uh, there were also many men that were judges that uh, did great things and there were some judges that were total failures. And somewhere in the middle here we got old Gideon. We got Gideon that I think we can relate to. I think all of us when we go to the New Testament we think about Peter as the one that we can really relate to. But in the Old Testament, when it comes to the judges, perhaps you and I can relate to him uh, probably more than others. He was a timid man. He was a man that came from the least of the tribes. He was a man that was kind of like Moses. Who am I? What can I do? I have nothing to offer. Uh, Don't ask me, God. There's other people bigger than I am, better than I am. And you know, the thing about it, gentlemen, is this. If God ever puts his finger on your spirit, and says, I want you to do something, that will never change. And it's not up to you to decide whether or not you're chosen. It's simply up to you to decide whether or not you will obey. That's right. The issue is not your ability. The issue is not your ability. The issue is, are you willing to be faithful unto God and be willing to say, God, who am I? Who am I to do this? But if you've chosen me, I will. I was a rambunctious young fellow down in Stringer High School. I was coming through uh, Sunday. We were driving back from Dublin, and we passed a town that said home of the, uh, something Red Devils. There's a, there's a high school here in Ohio, and the mascots are Red Devils. Who knew? My mascot in Stringer, Mississippi is the Stringer Red Devils. I thought we had a monopoly on that, but apparently there's more than one. And, and I was a Red Devil. I really was. I was a very mischievous guy, Keyshawn. I was a little boy that was always in trouble. Uh, I was a little guy that was always uh, the one being sent to the principal's office. I'm not bragging. I'm simply saying there's hope. (laughs) I remember years later, fast forward the tape. I've been in ministry now for about uh, about 15 years, and I'm at this church in Alabama, and they were going to have Pastor's Day, uh, Pastor Appreciation Day, and they decided to go with the theme, this is your life kind of thing. And as God would have it, I'm actually pastor now, my high school principal's daughter, some 250 miles away. And so on This Is Your Life Day, they had a banquet at a local place, and uh, really nice, it really went all out. And they would have people behind the curtain that were in my past life, or in my life, and I was supposed to guess who they are. So we'd been two, through, two or three, and it was really neat and wonderful. A lot of people went to a lot of trouble to make this happen. But we got to the fourth person, and they said, okay, Brother Jerry, here's one that's going to be really interesting. Uh, uh, see if you can recognize this voice. And behind the curtain, they had a microphone set up just like the old TV, This Is Your Life. And, and this voice came over the microphone, Jerry East, come to the office. I promise you, I almost passed smooth out. I knew it was Mr. Sammy McDonald, the principal, the former principal of Stringer High School, where I was a student. And he came to the microphone, and I thought, this is not going to go well. He started telling my church what a bad dude I was. And I thought, whose idea was this to come and air out all my dirty laundry? And he, and he actually told the church, he said, listen, here's a fact. He said, I have a tally book that I keep. 
And he said, according to my tally book, Jerry East got more whippings in high school than every other person's put together. And he was standing there with a paddle in his hand while he's speaking to my church. And he said, come here, Jerry. And so I went up there and he said, bend over. And I went, are you serious right now? And pow, I mean, he popped me. The memories that came back to my soul. And he actually told me, he said, okay, have a seat. Now, you know, he's a principal. I'm going to have a seat. Never, never mind the fact I'm the pastor here. <laughs> he came back to the microphone and he said some words that have always been so meaningful to me. He said, but ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm telling you, I've never seen one man change so much by the gospel of Jesus Christ as your pastor. Amen. He said, I know he's not the man he used to be. My daughter tells me about what God's doing in his life. And I just want to stand before you today and say, when I was in the third grade, Stringer, uh, we had to memorize Psalms 23. I say had to. Praise God we did. And, and in my class, we were the third largest class in the history of our school. 36 of us. We were the third largest graduating class in the history of our school with 36. And all of us, with exception of about five, all of us went through the first through the 12th grade. We didn't have <coughs> kindergarten back then. Didn't have pre-K. We started in first grade. So I'm in the third grade, and Miss Johnson tells us we're going to have to memorize the 23rd Psalm and stand in front of the class. I did everything I could to get out of that. I begged my dad. I begged my mom. I said, please don't make me do that. When the day came for me to stand in front of a class of just about 35 people and say the uh, 23rd Psalm, I literally, I really, I was doing this. I was hanging on with all I had. I was sweating. I was about to panic. I knew it. I finally said it. But my teacher said, you know, it took you longer to say it than anyone else in the class because I was gasping for breath. I was nervous. I was about to die. Now, fast forward to tape then to 12th grade. Uh, in 1981, March the 1st, I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. thought I was saved, but I wasn't. Been baptized, but that's not going to save you. I found that out the hard way. I've been around some people in college my freshman year that had joy in their heart and had a peace about them that I knew I was missing. So I gave my life and heart to Christ, and I became a genuine follower of Christ when I was 18 years old. In the same moment, God was dealing with me about preaching. Now, theology-wise, I get it. I get it. It's real confusing. How could God be talking to me about preaching before I say, I'll let you figure all of that out. All I know is this. God was dealing with me before that day I gave my life and heart to Jesus Christ about being his minister. We'll deal with that when I get to heaven. But at the same time that I generally got born again, God says, you were right all along. I'm calling you. And, and I heard someone say the other day at the conference that we were in the pastor's conference. Uh, <clears throat> he said, you know, he said, I never will forget the night God said, this is your last chance to obey me. God was calling him to preach. Brother David Westmoreland. And he said the other day at the pastor's conference, he said, I knew this was my last opportunity to obey God. God said to me, I've been calling you and calling you and calling you and calling you, and you have been running and running and running and running. And God said, this is it. The timeline's up. Either you obey me right now, or you will never have another chance. That was the way it was with me. I sat on my bed that night after I come to know Christ, and God spoke to my heart and said, listen, I've been chasing you for a long time. You've been running. And if you don't obey me tonight, you'll never have another chance. At midnight, I got down beside my bed, and I said like Gideon, I said like Moses, but God, who am I? I have an older brother. He's a rocket scientist. He, he, I mean, he, he's a guy that was valedictorian in our high school. He went on to Mississippi State, got a degree in aerospace engineering. Just, a, just an incredibly smart man. Has so many gifts. He has so much to offer. 
And I remember telling God in that process where he's calling me to preach, I said, God, Lloyd is your man. He's so gifted. He's brilliant. He's a brainiac. He could do, he's got so much to offer God. And God said, I didn't call the mighty, I called the weak. In your weakness, I want to be made strong. And so that night I got down on my knees by the bed and I confessed to the Lord that I was scared to death, that I really didn't think that I could ever do this, but if, capital I, you really want me, I'm your man. And I surrendered. I have a message here tonight, gentlemen, that I want to share with you, and that is do not, do not, do not, do not minimize who Christ can be in you. Let's not talk about who you can be for Christ. Let's talk about who Christ can be in and through you. If you have your Bible tonight, I'd like to illustrate it with this passage. In the book of Judges, we'll look at chapter 7. In the book of Judges, chapter 7, I want you to see what the Word of God says. Why don't we stand in honor of reading God's Word? It's a practice we do, and uh, it's, it's biblical, found in Nehemiah. We honor the Word of God by standing. The Bible says in the book of Judges chapter 7, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Murrah and the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, quote, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let them turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. The Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, you the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lap, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lap, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and the trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened, and you'll go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in the multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I had a dream. To surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And to his hand God has delivered the Midianite and the whole army. 
And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided three hundred men to three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp, and they and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the three hundred men went with him, came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets, and they broke the pitchers that were in their midst. Then three companies threw, blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands were blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord out of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia, towards Zerorah, as far as the border of Abu Maholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Nephilah, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, seize them from the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together, seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. They captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian, brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Our Father in heaven, what an incredible story. But it is the inspired word of God and it is absolute truth. And we know that though this sounds miraculous, that it is absolutely true. That through only 300 men, you destroyed many that could not even be numbered. And Lord, we feel like in our society today that we're swimming upstream. Lord, we feel like everything's going counterculture. We sense in our heart that our world has been turned upside down. We see it on the streets. We see it in the news. We see it everywhere we turn, God, that we have so thwarted the plans of God. And we've so changed the images that you had for us. And we've so corrupted the biblical institutions that you formed. And yet, God, there still is a church. There still is a remnant. There always will be. And there will always be some man or men who are willing to take their stand. You gave us the promise that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And so, Lord God, we come to you tonight and ask you to make, those, make us those men of God that we will persevere to the end, that we'll be part of the remnant, and we'll be faithful unto our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. My daddy grew up in Simpson County. It's a little community just outside of Jackson, Mississippi. A little high school named Panola. My dad said they'd go to school in that little Panola High School there in, in Mississippi. And it was a church school. And they had a huge auditorium to the side that they played a little basketball that was adjoined to the church. So on Sundays they had church, but during the week they had school, they had other activities. And dad said that every single morning, Brother Z.B. McAlpin who was not only the principal, but who was also the preacher, had a deep voice. He said, this is way back before electricity and before the 
the, the microphones. Mr. Brother McCalpin would call for everyone to be seated. And my dad said you could hear a pin drop. Every single morning at the beginning of school, Mr. McCalpin would call them to order and he would preach a sermon. He'd give a devotion. This is a public high school funded by the state of education in Mississippi. And it wasn't done before school. It wasn't volunteer. It was something that was done to start school and it was mandatory. And my dad said, you know, growing up, knowing that that was the way it was supposed to be was an incredible foundation for them. Now you compare that to where we are today. We have an organization over in Wisconsin called the Freedom From Religion. And they're sending letters, especially, I don't know about here, but they're sending especially all over the South, threatening any school that dares has prayer before a ball game. You compare to where my dad grew up and where we are today. And then you compare where we've moved in 2021 and how rapidly, how rapidly we have gone down into the toilet of this culture and, and into the mire, the quagmire of all that the devil is doing in our land. You think about where we are today as compared to them. And I'm not here tonight to bemoan where we are. I'm not here tonight to bemoan the culture in which we live. I'm here to say to you gentlemen, my brothers in Christ, you and I can make a difference in this world. There's an old saying that goes something like this. As goes the man, so goes the family. As goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the nation. Men, you are the key. You are the key. It is your biblical mandate. We have a lot of terms today that have the name mandate on the end of it. And there's a lot of controversy about who has the right to make a mandate well, I will be the first one to get right in there with you, right? And defend our rights as Americans. But this is a mandate from God against which no one has an argument. When God gives you the spiritual duty to be the spiritual leader and head of your family, there is no arguing with God. We don't need another Baptist committee meeting to decide if that's the truth or not. God said it, that settles it. It's over. You have been appointed as the heads of your home. You are the spiritual leader of your house, of your home, of your family, of this church. God has given you that high and holy calling. And if the nation's in trouble, it's because the church is in trouble. And if the church is in trouble, it's because the families are in trouble. And if the families are in trouble, it's because the man has abdicated his spiritual responsibility before God. Men, you are the key to what is needed in our nation. I cannot say that more clearly. You are the key. I look on TV and I see these people going to these board meetings and I see parents trying to fight for the rights of the children. And nine, nine times out of ten, it's a mother up there. It's a mother at the microphone facing the enemy, trying to defend her children and their right to teach what is right in the eyes of God. And I ask, where's the men? Where's the men of God? Going to these meetings and, and tackling this in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. And I want us to see some wonderful truths about it. Hear this, men of God. Many in our world are hopeless. Many in this town are helpless. Many are in a very hazardous situation. And our world as we know it is no more in so many ways. And God alone is the answer. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. If we're going to have a church that is meaningful and relevant and on fire for the Lord, it's going to be by the Spirit of God. And I'm here to tell you tonight, listen to me, by the providence of God, you're here tonight. Right. God ordained you to be here tonight. 
You say, no, I chose. You, God ordained you to be here tonight. And I'm telling you, by the power of God, if just one of you who are providentially ordained by God to be here tonight would be totally, unconditionally surrendered and sold out to the cause of Christ, it could transform your family, your church, this town, and this nation. This generation has yet to see what one man totally surrendered to God can accomplish. And so we come tonight and we say, the answer's not government. I guess you found that out, right? Uh, we found out a long time ago, the answer's not the government. The answer is not the state or the city. The answer is not the, the country. The answer is not uh, military. The answer is not law enforcement. The answer is not higher learning, institutions of higher learning. The answer is not what we can do in our humanism. The answer is the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalms 20, verse 7. Men, look at me and hear me, please. God will speak to you tonight. I'm telling you, He will. We have that promise. When the Word of God is honored and spoken and preached, God, God is bound to honor the Word that is preached. He doesn't honor anything else but the Word preached. He'll honor that. And I'm telling you, He's going to speak to our hearts tonight. And I want us to be very clear and understand what God is saying. I want to share with you three truths tonight. This is actually an outline that I borrowed. It's something that's not new. Nothing's new under the sun. It's an outline I borrowed, but I want to preach the truth of it tonight. There's three things here we need to see. Number one, notice that the cowards were excused. Now, we won't go back and read it because that's a pretty long scripture, was it? But do you remember reading in the very beginning where God said to Gideon, and said, look, you've got here all these men, and these men are too many. And so I want you to tell the men, if you're afraid, if you're scared, you can go home. How many of y'all love Andy Griffin? Come on. You remember the time whenever Barney deptized Otis and Barney, I mean Otis and uh, Floyd, and uh, go, those guys, he deputized me. He said, now look, guys, the sheriff's in trouble. We've got to help him. It's going to be dangerous. If you're scared, go home. They all looked at each other and just started walking out, right? Of course, Barney said, get back in here. We've got to do this. Whenever Gideon said these words, he said, if you are afraid, if you are scared of our enemy, you may go home. 32,000 men were present. 22,000 men said, I'm afraid. I am here to tell you, men of God, the vast majority of professing Christians, professing Christians that identify as a male, born a male, biologically is your identification, the vast majority of them are afraid. We're afraid. We're scared to death to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. 22,000 men, the vast majority went home. More men today are afraid of the enemy of God than they are God himself. Where is our fear of God above man? My pastor over in Fort Worth, Texas, when we were in seminary at Southwestern, Pastor Brad Jones did a series. It took him a year and a half to do a series on the fear of God. And I mean to tell you, that series has never left me. The concept of the fear of God is one of the greatest concepts you could ever do a study on. I encourage you, go through the scriptures and see what it means to walk in the healthy, holy fear of the Lord. Amen. The fact of the matter is, so many men today, look at me, fear what man can do more than they fear God Himself. The fact of the matter is, these men were afraid and they went home. And that's why Jesus, I think, talked to His disciples very clearly and very openly, knowing that the religious leaders out there were listening to every word. They were hanging on every word Jesus said. And in one of the passages in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who can kill the body, 
but, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Compared to what God can do at the great white throne judgment, what is the worst thing that can happen to you at the hands of man here? Amen. <laughs> you see, Jesus said, fear the one who can condemn both to hell, destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what he's talking about? There's going to come a day when the lost are going to stand before God. It's going to be called the great white throne judgment. And it's going to be for people who have trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ and treated it as ordinary and simple rather than holy and precious as God did. God's going to hold them responsible one day and God's going to condemn their soul to hell forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it's not going to be just based upon the fact that they denied Jesus. God is going to say, look, if I find one sin in the books that you committed, you're guilty of the whole law, so you will send it your own self to hell. And so the books are open, plural. The books are open and those who have sin is recorded in the book of sin and then those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life and they've not applied the blood of Jesus Christ to that book of sin. God says, you, you've made your own choice. You have decided to reject the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, you are condemned forever. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. Now, can you imagine anything, anything, anything? Can you imagine anything than being separated from the love of God forever and ever and ever and ever? Can any of us in this room imagine living in eternal torment in the flames of hell forever and ever and ever and ever? Can you imagine living in a place of outer darkness forever and ever? You say, oh, I got you. You said it's a place of fire. Now you're saying it's a place of darkness. That's not possible. Not in your world, but it is in God's. The Bible clearly says that hell is not just a place of eternal torment and fire and flame, but it's also a place of darkness. He also says it's a place of intense violence. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because of violence. Can you imagine anything more horrific than facing a God and being told, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Can you imagine being thrown into the pits of hell? And yet there are men, listen to me now, there's a point to this. There are some men who profess with their mouth faith in Jesus Christ, but they are more afraid of what man might could do to them than to consider the prospect of what could happen if they reject God. If you're saved, understand something. You won't see the great white throne judgment. Amen? Right. Praise God. Right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it teaches you and I that our sins have already been taken care of, past, present, future. We have what's called positional justification. And the imputation of Jesus Christ has been put into us. When your Father in Heaven looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees Christ in you. Amen. You stand before God perfectly fulfilled, perfectly cleansed of all sin, past, present, future, because that's the power of the preciousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. You will not stand one day and give an accounting to God at a judgment for your sins. What will you and I give an accounting for? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, very clearly Paul teaches the judgment seat of Christ where you and I will give an accounting to God for the works we have done after our sins have been cleansed. We will give an account for the works that we've done or not done. And you say, well, no big deal. I'm not into awards. I'm not really big on, hey, here's your gifts. That's not the point. The point is you have one opportunity and just a few years to do bringing glory to God. You don't keep those crowns and wear them around as honor. You don't walk around and say, look at me, Kishan. Look at my big crown. Look at my big crown. We're not going to do that. We're not going to brag about what we have received from God by His grace. 
that we did not deserve. What we're going to do is say, I am unworthy, God. But praise the Lord, if there's anything that I did do while I was here on earth, I bring all of that to your feet and I bring it to your honor and your glory. Let me tell you something, men of God. It may not matter to you tonight. You may think it doesn't matter to you tonight that one day you have something to bring to God in the way of rewards, but I'm telling you by the authority of God's holy word, one day it will matter. And that day you and I stand before God, I want to know that I was sold out here on earth to my Lord Jesus Christ, and I did not fear man on earth more than I feared God of heaven. These guys left because they were cowards. Secondly, notice the careless. The cowards were excused, but number two, notice the careless were eliminated. In verses 4 through 6, God says 9,700 men is still too many. It's still too many. That's just too many men. And so he took them down to the water, uh, to the water hole. Um, excuse me, 10,000 men are too many. He took the men down and he said, look, I want you to give them a water test. You watch the ones and see how they drink water from the, from the brook. And, and I'll tell you which ones to keep. And so they get down there and they get down to the water brook. And some of them get down on their knees like this and they put their head all the way down to the water and they're sucking that water up. There were some that got on one knee and they kept their heads up and they're watching with vigilance. They put their hand in the water, they bring their hand up watching very vigilantly and they get a little water, never taking their eyes off the enemy or the danger. God said, the ones who got on their knee and got their hands in the water, and they drank from the keep them. Guess how many it was? 300. 9,700 men got on their both knees and put their face to the water, ignoring the dangers of the world, ignoring what could happen, ignoring how vulnerable they would be there in that moment. God says, can't use them. Send that 9,700 home with the other 22,000. What does that leave us? 300. Out of 32,000 men, 300 are left. Let me ask you a question. This is not rhetorical. Everybody, everybody help me out here. Potentially. Pastor's not going to answer. I want to hear from the laity. Potentially. How many people could be here on Sunday morning? Potentially. Don't count chairs. Just in your mind, just come up with, you know what? I could easily see fill in the blank in this church. How many? I'd say 200. 100 to 200? Give me one more. 75. 75, all right. Let's just kind of go there with 75, 100, 200. Let's say 100, okay? How many we got here tonight? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. We got 10 out of what we could consider to be 150. Let's go with the number 100. That's realistic. There's 150 men within this lighthouse that could come to church. You know what? God is not into numbers. He's into faithfulness of one man. And God would say to you 10 men here tonight, He doesn't have, he doesn't have to have 150 men come in this room. God wants to speak to your heart tonight and say, you 10, you 10, right here, right now, before God, if you will walk in the fear of God above the fear of man, and if you'll stop being careless in your spiritual life, I can use you. I can use you. Now, symptoms of spiritual carelessness are what? Well, there's apathy. There's apathy. 
It's just a don't care attitude. Have you got anyone you know right now that's naming the name of Christ and they just have a don't care attitude? You know anybody? You, you, got, any, you got anybody that right now says, you know what? I just don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm tired. I'm weary. It's not working. We've done this. We've done that. We've done this. We've done that. We've tried this. We've tried that. This is not working. No matter what we do, we still have 10 people here. We have 10 men here. You know anybody that's just given up on God and given up on church and they're apathetic about it? They just don't care. And we try to go to them and say, look, brother, let's be accountable. Let me help you. Let me share Christ with you. Let's get in a prayer group. Let's keep one another accountable. No, man, I'm not into that. I just don't care anymore. We got people that during COVID decided they could watch church on TV or on their iPad or on their iPhone. It's really, really an issue down south. It really is. And so, you know, we went to that thinking that was a good thing to do to provide that. And, and as a matter of fact, in the providence of God, whenever we were on TV at our church, we'd have maybe 500 people interact with our TV, our, our internet ministry. Whenever we were in the apex of COVID, we saw over 3,500 people weekly interacting with our messages. We thought, okay, praise God. Praise God that technology could be used for that. But you know what the devil has done? The devil has taken this thing and, and he's turned it now for some evil. He really has because there are people that I know that are more than willing to go to the local curb store and, and be right up next to anybody, high fiving, go to Lowe's without a mask and shop all day long. Or here's Menards? Menards, sorry. Menards. Uh, you know, you, you, go the, you can go to uh, Mayor and go there. No mask, no social distancing, but on Sunday, now, preacher. We're just a little bit afraid about assembling at the campus. Really? Are you really? What's the matter with this world? Apathy. I had a lady just, I, I love honesty, right? I had a senior adult said, I'm going to tell you something, preacher. I can sit at my table at my, in my kitchen in my nightgown, and I can drink coffee and have a big time watching you preach. That's where I'm going to do it. <laughs> Lisa was honest, amen? But the fact is, we've gotten, we've gotten apathetic. What about depletion of morals? One by one by one by one, morality has chipped away at our nation. And we are sometimes not noticeable to the world as being set apart by the Holy Spirit of God. So many times we act like the world, we talk like the world, we walk like the world, we live by the world. And the conclusion is, we must be worldly. And the fact is, the morals have gone to the tank. We're in, we're, we're in a cesspool with our morals. And dads, listen to me. It's up to you to set the standard. Listen to me. Dads, listen. It is up to you to set the standard. Do you have children? Do you have children? It is your responsibility, your God-given calling, to see to it that there's filters in your world. Anything goes should not be on that iPhone. That's right. You should understand something. Children cannot and were never intended by God to be able to handle certain things emotionally. There are things even we men should never see. Amen? Let alone a 10-year-old boy or 13-year-old boy, a young boy growing into puberty, and all of a sudden here's an iPhone where he can see any form of pornography he wants, and you as a father don't even know he's doing it? That's on you. You're paying the bill. That phone belongs to you. You should be putting filters in that phone or setting up some kind of system where there's accountability. Filters are challenging. I get that because a kid can get around your filters. I get that. I had a son one time. He got his first phone. This is back when they had a flip phone. Kashan, you ever seen a flip phone? Okay, cool. 
My, my boy had a flip phone. And so, you know, texting is brand, 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 brand new. I had just gotten rid of my, my pager the week before and got him a flip phone. That's how old this technology was. And so it was brand new technology, the texting, and my son was texting a friend of his. They played football. And one night I went up to his room. I said, son, you know my rule now. Bedtime, no phone. No phone in your bed, huh? No, no phone in your bed. I don't want you talking to a girl. Don't do anything. This wasn't even computer. This is just texting or talking. And so one night I went up, and I know he's on the phone. I said, give me a phone. Sir, give me a phone. Sir? This is a big brute playing football. Ken was a lineman. He could have taken me out. <laughs> he didn't know it, but he could have. He weighed about 210. He was all muscle. He's beefy. He was being recruited by a local college. This is my lineman who's now a big deputy. He said, Dad, you want my phone? I said, give me your phone. I took his phone. I knew something was up. The Spirit of God told me to go up there. I knew something was up. I opened that phone, and his friend had sent him a text, and it had all kinds of vulgarity in it, all kinds of vulgarity, profanity. I got on the phone, and I text his friend back and said, hey, this is Kevin's dad. <laughs> you will not send this pornography, I mean this profanity over the phone to my son. Because if you continue to send this profanity over the phone to my son, guess what? My son will lose the phone. I can't take your phone, but I'll take my boys. And so, fast forward the tape, he would see me at school and just... <laughs> Ten years later, the boy's married, he's given his heart to Jesus Christ, but he still walks up to me and says, Brother Jerry, I am so sorry. I said, listen, lesson learned. Lesson learned. Hey, Dad, you got the responsibility, you got the right, and you got the calling to make sure that your children have filters that you have applied to their lives. Your wife needs that. Your wife may not ask for it, but she needs filters. You need to be, be certain that you're building fortresses around your wife for, for her. One day you're going to present her unto Christ as a bride. Amen? Amen? One day you're going to be responsible before God. He's going to say, hey, what did you do to lead your wife spiritually? Take care of that. As children, take care of that. Put filters in your own life. Again, filters on phone are very, very hard. we got every way now that we can do things. There's that thing called incognito on your phone. And you can search things incognito. And supposedly, if someone were to pick up your phone, they'd never know you searched it. Now, understand something. There are people out there with the intelligence to know what you've been Googling no matter what, incognito or not, right? Your wife may not, but others can. We have all kinds of things that are potential filters, but there's nothing that's going to keep you from sinning against God, whether it be profanity, whether it be pornography, whether it be flirting with someone else, until you give your heart, life, soul to Jesus Christ and say, God, I invite you to come into my life and hold me accountable. And you men ought to be accountable to one another. Every man ought to have another man that he can go to and say, look, hold me accountable. I want you to ask me weekly how I'm doing on my searches. I want you to ask, ask me weekly, how are you doing on your quiet time? Well, well, and, and listen, when you ask someone, are you in your quiet time, they're going to say, yeah, man, what are you, what are you reading? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's when you're going to know. And that's not for us to be judges of one another. That's accountability. Men of God, depletion of morals is at an all-time low in America, and we have got to do what it takes to get us back to the God. Our hearts are unguarded. There's no time with the Father. Quiet time. Devoted time is what I prefer to call it. You know, quiet time can be where you just go in a closet and you've got a Bible in front of you and you take a nap. That's pretty quiet, right? Devoted time is different. Devoted time is when you go before God in your closet and you have a devoted time to be with God and interact with the living God. You've got to have that daily, guys. Look at me. I can't survive without it. I'm, I'm of no good to God 
If I don't have time with God every day, I am nothing. Remember the boy in high school that was the, the dummy, the one getting spankings, versus the one that was a valedictorian and, and had everything going for him? I'm still that person as far as DNA. Apart from God, I am absolutely nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Why? For apart from me you can do nothing, John 15, 5. That's who I am. I told you my life verse Sunday morning, 1 Corinthians 15, 10a. I am what I am by the grace of God. Do you think that third grader back at Stringer High School who almost fainted and took the longest to repeat the Psalms 23 could stand up here tonight and preach without God in me? I'm still that same person in my DNA. But because of the Spirit of Christ in me, I can do all things. Amen. And so can you. That's right. That's right. And then there's a total complacent laziness. And you know, that pretty much goes without saying. We get so stinking lazy sometimes. And we just don't take up the mantle. So there were some that were excused. Why? Because they were cowards. Listen to me. What is a coward in this context? A man who fears what man might do to them or think about them or say about them more than they fear the God of heaven. God give us men here tonight that fear God above all else. You want to pick on me because I go to church? Have at it. <laughs> you want to try to shame me because I happen to have a quiet time, a devoted time with God? Have at it. You, you, want, to, you want to make fun of me because I'm committed to my wife and I don't want to I don't want to have an affair on her. How about it? You want to pick on me because on Friday night we all get paid and y'all go to the bar and drink and get drunk and I don't want to have... You want to pick on me about that? That's fine. You know why? Because I fear my God more than I fear what you think of me. That's great. Secondly, there was a group that was eliminated because they were careless. And then lastly, praise God for the 300. Guys, stay with me. Stay with me. The committed were encouraged. Number one, the cowards were excused. Number two, the careless were eliminated. Number three, the committed were encouraged. The committed were encouraged. How many were left? 300. Beloved, hear me now. If you're ready to step out in faith to be God's mighty man, you will be encouraged by God to do so. Think of it. 300 versus a numberless army. The Bible says that camels numbered as many as the sand on the seashore. You know, that's a lot of camels. The Midianites were tens of thousands of people. The Amalekites came along with their tens of thousands. We're talking about well over, well over 100,000 plus men in this army. And 300 are going to defeat them? You know, some of those 300 might have been thinking, what did we sign up for? <laughs> what did we sign up for? Why are we here? What are we doing? You know, June the 20th, June the 18th, 2020, I fell off a house. I was in Oxford, Mississippi, and I fell plumb off a house. I was trying to be careful. I was doing something for my brother-in-law who had a log cabin, had a metal roof. I went to wash the windshield, and I just wasn't thinking. The water with my shoe on that metal, I was like that. I fell 20 feet. I hit like this. I hit like a C. My lower back and my, my rear end hit like a, a curve. I had a burst uh, lumbar, the fourth, fourth lumbar just burst. It blew up. I had five fractures on my left hip. I had a separated hip. I didn't know this, but there's no bone connection from the hip into the spinal column. It's all held by tendons. You medical people know that. It's separated. It pulled apart. Of all the things that happened to me, they were more worried about that than anything. And so I laid there on my back 
in a hospital for one month without a wife, a child, or anyone that knew me or I knew them. Nobody. Nobody could be with me because of COVID. For one solid month, I lay on my back thinking I'll never walk again. It was a very challenging time in my life. I still have something that they call saddle anesthesia. You're fine to go look that up later. It's a medical term that just basically is what you think it is. When you're sitting in the saddle, you know, all that's dead, sleep. I, I will suffer that will rest of my life unless God intervenes and possibly He's not. It's going to be my thorn in the flesh from here on out. So be it. I still give glory to God. Even if He didn't heal this, I give glory to God. Because I am a walking miracle. Do you hear what I'm saying? You're looking at a man that's a walking miracle. It should not be that I could walk down from here and walk out of this building down those steps on my own. God is good. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. When they called me about this mission here, I just said, sure. Jane and I always kind of go, let's do it. You want to go to Ohio with a team from Mississippi Christian Action Commission and, and you want to go up there and, and minister the Word of God and minister to some pastors at a retreat? Jane and I said, absolutely, we'd love that. If God is willing, we'll do it. And so I signed up like six months ago. The other day I was sitting here thinking, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know how far it is from Mississippi to here? City? You know how far it is to come here and do these things? But listen to me. I say to you before God, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a living miracle before Almighty God. And I am here tonight by the power of God. Sometimes we say, what am I doing here? Those 300, I'm sure, were thinking, what was I thinking? There will be times when you'll jump off in faith, and then when you land, you're going to think, what was I thinking? Listen to me. Don't you ever minimize the call of God upon your life. I'm not talking about getting to preach. I'm talking about doing whatever God has called you to do. These 300 were men of God. These 300 faced the Lord. God's encouragement to get him came through a dream. In the dream, there were three things that were told, and they did it. Three weapons. And we're going to close with this. Now pay attention to the three weapons. Remember them? First of all, there was this clay pot, this pitcher, if you will. And inside that pitcher, there were torches inside the pitcher, ready to light. The pitchers were there. The torches were there. And then they had a trumpet. So here it is. 300 men. Gideon, by the providence of God, said, go, go this way on this mountain. Three of you stand here on top of the mountain. All the Midianites are in the valley. Three of you, 300, uh, 100 of you go over here. You stand on this mountain. The other 100, you go over there. So 100, 200, 300 in a triangle, if you will, over that valley. Gideon said, do exactly what I do. Listen, guys, when your pastor gets up here and he preaches his heart out and he labors in, in the field here and he, he's calling upon you, do, do what he does. Follow your pastor. That's nothing wrong with that. Paul the apostle said, follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say to your son, follow me as I follow the Lord? Can you say to your wife, hey, follow me as I follow the Lord? That's not braggadocious. That's not pride. That's saying, you know what? I've got my eyes fixed on God, and you can do no wrong if I will do no wrong and follow Jesus Christ. And so they said, follow me. Do exactly what I say. When I give you the signal, you burst those pots, you hold up that torch, and you blow that trumpet. And so here they are in the bottom. It's dark. Tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand. They're all in their tents. They're, they're, they're at the leisure. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the sound of the pots being broken had to be horrific. 
Then the torches being held up, it looked like they were surrounded. And then every one of them just blew that trumpet as loud as they could. Some are blowing this way. Some are blowing this way. Some are blowing this way. The Midianites think they are not only more than we, but they're here amongst us. The echo of the sound of those trumpets was bouncing off the mountains in such a way. The light glowing trickled down into the valley in such a way. They assumed they're here. They're amongst us. There they are! And those Midianites got up and they killed each other out. And the whole time, the man of God sitting there, letting God do His thing. Amen? Yeah. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. The pictures are sign of being broken before God. Men of God, you know why I think with all my heart we don't have revival in America? Because we're just so full of pride. We, we don't want to go to altar and be broken. We, we fight God. We don't want to be broken. We don't want to be contrite before the Lord. When's, when's the last time we've been to church service? And you know, I, I will give you all a lot of kudos here, Pastor. I love the fact that you're so transparent with one another and open. God bless you for that. It's something that's lacking down south. When's the last time in our churches someone just got up during the invitation, went down to the altar and began to weep before God? One, one man, I believe this, if there was just one man in my church on a Sunday morning that would get up and come to that altar and literally cry out to God, I think it would be something that would transform our church. I think there's a lot of other men that want to do it, but they're scared to. Yeah. But if that one man would obey God and go to the altar and cry out, the others, I believe, would fall. I really believe that about my church. And pray for us, because I think we're this close. I think we're this close to a breakout at our church. I'm seeing it. I see it. Satan's fighting us, but God will be victorious, because I know the battle belongs to the Lord. The broken pictures was a symbolic picture of our brokenness before God. The torches of fire is the Spirit of God. Fire in the Bible is always a word picture or a symbolic gesture of the Spirit of God. God says you can't do this on your own, Gideon. 300 men against hundreds of thousands of men with every kind of weapon and chair you can imagine. Gideon, man can't do this. Give up. Surrender. But by the power of the Spirit of God, it can be done. The trumpets, the trumpets is a picture of the Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. No creature is hidden from its sight. It will divide you to the very core of your very being. I know some of you are probably uh, movie watchers. I'm not so much. I'm, I, you know, I stay with Andy Griffith. I, I watch uh, Big Valley, Gunsmoke. I mean, that's just, that's just kind of where I camp at. I am into mountain men right now. Can I get a witness? Man, I like watching mountain men. But you know, movies... I'm always cautious. So many times people recommend movies to me and I, and I get into it and it's got cursing and things in there I just shouldn't see. And I'm thinking, what, what were you thinking recommending this to any man of God, let alone your pastor? So I'm very reluctant to recommend a movie. Don't go and watch this. I'm not. But I do know the story behind the movie, 300. The Spartans. This is possible. Yeah. The King Leonidas and the battle at Thermopylae. It is an incredible truth of our history. King Xerxes, king of Persia, who actually Persia is mentioned in the Bible and will be a part of our future one day from the land of Iran. 5,000 archers came against King Leonidas at the battle of Thermopolis. But they had perfected what's called a phallic sea formation with their shields. They, they, they knew how to come together as men of God, all for one and one for all. 
And they, they would put their shield together in such a way that even the archers from the mountains, their, their arrows rarely would penetrate and get to the men. And then they would take up their arms and go and kill so many of the people of Xerxes. But three days battles in, tens of thousands of the people of Persia were dead at the hand of 300 men. Well, King Xerxes really and truly got fed up with it and he put out an order to take him down no matter what it takes. Xerxes sent a, a runner beforehand and says, King, Thermop, uh, King Leonidas, if you don't give up, you will die. Lay down your arms and surrender now. And the king sent back a message and said, come and get them. <laughs> come and get them. They did ultimately die. They did ultimately come to the end of their life. But even while they were dying, they never surrendered. Guys, I don't know how it's going to end for you on earth. You know, I don't know. We, we, we could get some disease and die before Christ comes back. But by the grace of God, my, my life would have ended June the 8th, 2020 when I fell off that house. I missed a slab about that high with my head three feet. If I'd hit that slab sticking up out of the ground, I wouldn't be here today. I'm just too heavy, and it was too far of a fall to survive that. You don't know, and I don't know, when our life will be over. But what I do know is this. I don't have to surrender until it is over. I don't have to. I don't have to surrender until it's over. There's a monument now to King Leonidas and the Spartans. The monument there at that battle says, and I quote, Go tell the Spartans, stranger passing by, that here, obedient to Spartan law, we lie. We were faithful to the end. Men of God, today, and until God comes again, or until we give up the ghost in death, I'm asking you to stand with God, stand with one another. Your monument will not be a stone with a fancy writing on it. Your monument will be your wife that loves the Lord. Your monument could be your children that grown up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Your monument could be the children that you've reached here at church by just serving God. You know, you do a lot of things behind the scenes. Some of you in this room, you're a behind the scenes person, but you do it faithfully. Your monument will be your service to God using your spiritual gifts unto the Lord. We're not into monuments here, but when we stand before the Lord, great is your reward. Don't you want to hear this one day? I'm to the point in my life, I'll be 60 in April, I'm to the point in my life where I'm praying every day, God, God, there's one thing now that I want to hear and one thing only. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. Pastor and I were talking the other day about, you know, it's, it's important you start right, and so many Christians don't, as I, many Christians think, joining the church is starting right. No, it's not. Being born again by the Spirit of God is a good start. That's the only start. But it is just as important, if not more important, that you finish well. We're not there yet, guys. You may be tired, you may be weary, but you don't have to surrender. I'm asking you tonight before God to think about these 300 men, Gideon's army, out of 32,000. Most of them were scared and they were cowards. Most of them just got careless. But there were 300 that drew a line in the sand one day and said, we will stand with God. Let's, let's just bow our head. And tonight I'm going to surrender authority to the pastor, a rightful authority. I, I don't know what God wants to do here tonight, but if you don't mind, fellas, uh, let's just put everything down for a moment and bow our head and close our eyes. And I do want to pray for you. Uh, I've got one more night with the whole church, but this is my last night with just you men. And I just want to pray with you and for you and 
for us. Will you, will you join me right now as we pray? Holy Father, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I come before you tonight in the Spirit of God. And Lord, I know that this message is meant just as much for me as it was for your men here tonight. This is not a message just to us as pastors. It's not a message just to one as a deacon. This is a message to every person who professes faith in Christ. Those who say they are followers of Christ. Lord, I am amazed that there was a day when the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of men were scared. Knowing that God would fight the battles, they were still scared. And they went home and they quit. And then, Lord, there were those that probably meant well, but they were so careless. They just got careless. They didn't have those filters in their life. They didn't have those barriers in their life. They, they were careless in what they were watching and Lord, they're careless in what they're seeing. And today we have men that are careless on the phone. That they're careless on what they watch. They're careless with their language. They're careless in their, their speech, Lord. Sometimes they're careless with their eyes and what they look at. And Lord, all of those things can eliminate us from being faithful to the end. God, what I'm praying for here tonight is that out of these ten men that are here before me, and myself included, may you find us faithful to the very end. Lord, we want to finish well. We want to have monuments when we're gone that talk about our faithfulness unto our wives and our children, unto our church, the kingdom of God, to our Lord. God, we don't want riches. I'd rather have Jesus than all the wealth of this world. And Lord, I pray that tonight that every one of us would truly draw a line in the sand and that here tonight we'll take our stand and say, God, I don't know why you would choose me. There's so many other people that I think could do it better. But if you've chosen me for a task, if you've chosen me for a position, if you've chosen me with a calling, tonight I surrender. Let me be broken before you. May the fire of the Holy Spirit invade my life. And may I walk in the loud sound of the Word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor? We're not going to have a song right now, so I don't know if we... I'm sure we had a song prepared, because these guys are awesome, but we're not going to have a song. Um, but I'm going to ask you to respond if the Lord is leading you to respond. Right where you're sitting, there's just ten of us in the room. You, gotta get, you can be the front of the room if you want. But this is what I feel like the Lord is asking. So number one, will you be courageous? Will you be bold? It's not will you be afraid or will you not be afraid. That's, it has to be realistic. Fear is a human emotion. It's real. That's right. It happens. If you're not afraid of putting your hand on a burning stove, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're, not, you're insane. Right? As you get close, you should be afraid. Fear is real. But what the Word is asking us to do is to fear God more. That's right. Let God's power and His authority and His holiness and His might and the, and the wonder, the wonder of our God, Trump our fear. And then to be vigilant. I love, I love it said that way. Because there were the careless. But it's interesting because amongst the careless, as I was sitting there, the Spirit said, said this to me. So there were some of those that got down and they laughed like a dog. And this is gonna this is this hit me hard. Because they didn't laugh like a dog because they weren't afraid. If they were afraid, they would have already gone home. Right? They laughed like a dog 
for one of two reasons, because they were careless, and they could have just been careless because they trusted everybody else to take care of it. There's still thousands of men there. You can't do it. Don't wait around for somebody else to do it. Be vigilant. Do the work of a Christian man. Let's do it. And that means the spiritual disciplines. That means getting in the Word. It means getting in worship. It means in service. It means encouragement. It means accountability. It means you can go on, meditating on the Word. The things that we talk about. Be vigilant. Right? And don't assume somebody else is going to take care of it. I run into a lot of people throughout my life assuming I'm going to take care of it. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And, then, and sometimes when I don't, somebody gets mad at me for not doing it. You know, that happens. And sometimes I assume someone else is going to take care of it, and they don't. Stop. You know, it needs to be done. Be vigilant. Get, get to work and do what God would have you to do, whatever that is. Each of us is different, unique, uniquely gifted. That's awesome. So be courageous and be vigilant. And let's not back down to the very end. Let us be found faithful. Jesus said to the disciples, but when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faithfulness on the earth? I sure hope so, and I hope it's in every one of us. So I, I think the Lord is asking us to say, I will be courageous, and I will be vigilant. I will do the work. And, and before you say that, I want you to understand that I, I know everybody that's in this room. Look, I, I'm just getting to know James. Brother, I know everybody that's in this room. And if we wanted to, then we won't. But I could go around the room and I could say, I could point out the spiritual disciplines that you're just blowing off. So I'm asking you to stop. And you can probably do the same for me. Because you know me. And you can ask me to stop. And I'm already committing myself to do it. I will be courageous. I will be vigilant. I will do better at protecting my family, setting those boundaries, exercising spiritual disciplines. I will be vigilant. And ultimately, it is the Lord who will hold us to the end, right? And He's got us in His hand. The question is, what can you do between now and when He takes you home? What will that accounting of the works look like? And it's going to be determined whether or not you'll be courageous and whether or not you'll be vigilant. That's what's going to determine whether that list is full of stuff that God did through you or not. So if you're here today and you say, that's me, I realize I need to be courageous, I need to be vigilant. And I just want you to let me know right now how are you? You can put your hand up and say, that's me. You can say, yes, that's me. I see one hand. Thanks for listening to this podcast, the New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo, in our third revival service. After this, there's one more on Wednesday the 10th of November 2021. Hope you'll dial in for that one as well. That episode will come out later this week. In the meantime, check out churchtoledo.com. That website has a little bit or in some cases a lot, about each of the different ministries of the church, uh, the kingdom of God, in the city of Toledo. Consider partnering with us however the Lord may lead, as a prayer partner, lifting up the various aspects of the ministry, praying that the kingdom will advance here and where you live. Also in sharing the gospel, tell people about Jesus and ask them to be saved. Ask them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he tells them what to do. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, it means he paid the price for their sins. And if they will believe, and if they will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. It's a simple gospel. leads to a lifetime of abundant living in Christ as the Holy Spirit comes in, lives with us, seals us up for the day of reckoning, I guess you would say, which is a reckoning that we will not face in the same way as the world will. Please share the gospel wherever you go. 
You can give if you'd like to through churchtoledo.com or by texting GIVE to 419-419-0095. That's 419-419-0095. And you can text GIVE and give on your credit card or debit card. You can also send checks to 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio. That's 255 Hefner Street, Toledo, Ohio, 43605, if the Lord should lead. If you want to support the Life Station in particular, there's information about how you can do that on our website. If you don't know what that means and you'd like to know more about the Life Station, there's information about that on our website. You can go directly to lifestationtoledo.com and get all kinds of information. Please like us and follow us on Facebook. Like and follow this podcast and share it with anyone who will listen to you so that they can find uh, praise music, and worship, inspirational moments, and messages from the Word. That's how they find us. Father God, be with all those who are listening. Bless them as you see fit. Draw them close to you. Advance your kingdom in their hearts, in their life's work, uh, in all that goes on around them, in their families, and in their churches. And wherever their churches may be impacting, Lord, we pray that your kingdom will advance in a mighty way. And we pray this in Jesus' name.